Good evening, church. It's a pleasure to, to have this opportunity this evening. It's a pleasure to, to be before you, and thank you, Brother Jerry, for those songs. I'm excited. This is something I've been looking forward to since we, we talked about it a while back, and so you're going to hear me say it a few times tonight, but I, I am grateful. If we haven't met yet, you're welcome. Now, uh, my name is Tyler Yeager. I have been a member here at Oldham Lane for the last three or four months. Um, many of you will remember last summer I was here as the youth and family intern working with Luke and, and the bunch over here, and what a blessing that was. But despite Luke's best efforts, I am back. <laughs> and what a, what a blessing it is to be, to be part of the, the family here at Oldham Lane. Uh, currently, I teach fourth grade math at Jim Ned. I teach at Buffalo Gap. And wow, what an what, what amazing experience it has been to, to be brought into the fold here in Abilene and in the community, and I just want to express that gratitude. Like I said, I teach fourth grade math. Now, uh, the, the truth is, uh, I am not a math teacher, nor a mathematician, and, and uh, so much to the point that when I told friends and family back home that I was teaching math, many of them were shocked. In fact, I distinctly remember I put a, an announcement on Facebook sharing with friends and family that I'd be teaching math, and one of my high school math teachers responded with a face, and I don't know if you know all the, the little emojis on Facebook, but it was the shocked one, <laughs> the gaping mouth. Yeah, yeah. we'll leave it there. Um, I am much more of, a, of an English social studies uh, scholar, I guess you could say. Those were always the subjects that I enjoyed uh, learning in school, and the, and the subjects I certainly enjoy teaching. That's not to say that I don't uh, love the opportunity that I've been given. I absolutely do, and I've, and I've loved the, the challenge of doing something outside of my comfort. Uh, but as you're going to find tonight, I am certainly someone that enjoys studying history. I find it fascinating when, when something from history teaches a lesson that's far beyond the initial event that took place. So if you're like me and, and you enjoy uh, things like this from history, I might have something for you tonight. You might know the story of Hernan Cortez, a Spanish conquistador, and the phrase, uh, burn the ship, sorry Pete, uh, burning down the ship. On February 19th, 1519, Cortez set sail for Mexico with 11 ships, 13 horses, 110 sailors, and 553 foot soldiers. Two previous expeditions to establish a settlement in the New World and, and colonize the, the Americas had been unsuccessful. Cortez was determined that this would not be the case. So months gone by, they traversed the seas, and by July, Cortez and his men had worked their way from Spain to Puerto Rico, from Puerto Rico to Cuba, and from Cuba, finally, to the coast of Mexico. So they sailed the coast to the southern part of the Gulf of Mexico, and they finally landed in Veracruz. Once they hit land, eager to march inland to the Aztec capital and begin his crusade, Cortez destroyed his 11 ships. Why would he do this? Well, he, and he knew very much well that he was cutting off his men's only hope of retreat and leaving them with no option but to follow him. By doing this, Cortez issued an order that his mission was now an all-or-nothing mission. They had the choice to follow him or stay there on the beach and, and long for home. 
And as his crews watch their, their fleet of ships burn and sink, you can only imagine the, the struggle as they came to terms with the fact that retreat was not an option. There was no plan B. The only way out was through. This expedition ultimately led to the fall of the Aztec Empire and forever penned Cortez's name in the history books. So much to the point that no one since then has even given, given second thought to those ships that were sunk that day. Sure, in the moment, it was a great sacrifice that he made to stake everything on success and ensure that his men would be behind him. But in the large picture of history, it was such a small sacrifice to give in the surpassing view of what was to come. Church, what if I told you that Jesus has given us a similar edict to burn the ships? We're going to spend some time talking about such a thing tonight. If you don't believe me, I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, we're going to be reading a few verses here. We, we see the command that Jesus gave to burn the ships. This is beginning in verse 23. If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but wh whoever loses his life for my sake, this is the one who will save it. For what good does it do to a person if he gains the whole world but loses or forfeits himself. Like Cortez and his men, we have a great task before us. We've been given a mission by our king to go and conquer. You can bet that he expects us to be successful. It's true that Cortez and his men were strangers in a foreign land, a, a concept not, not foreign to you and I something that we know well, called to conquer the hearts of men. But when it gets down to it, there are obstacles, aren't there? There are a fair share of difficulties when it comes to the mission that God has given us. It seems like we all have that ship that lurks at the shore, keeping us from fully committing to the cause of Christ. The ever-present temptation to retreat when things get tough the things that weigh us down, that hold us back and keep us from staying the course. So tonight I ask you, what's your ship? For some, it is the ship of failure. Like Cortez and his men, some fear that they will fail. Their, their own shortcomings are magnified in their heads, paralyzing them with uncertainty and fear. And so they retreat to the ship. Again, not a concept new to us or new to even followers of Christ. Many have struggled with their own shortcomings and fear. If you would, turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, we meet a young man by the name of Moses. Someone centuries later who would be penned in God's word as a faithful servant but in the moment, was terrified. In Exodus chapter 3, we meet a young man by the name of Moses, terrified after fleeing to escape Pharaoh, after Pharaoh has attempted to kill him. He comes across this burning bush. Uh, the bush, who we know now to be the voice of God, calls out to him. 
Moses, afraid, and rightfully so, you would think, you come along, you see a bush on fire and calling out to you to come near, you would probably be terrified as well. Moses, terrified, approaches, and in Exodus chapter 3, verse 10, God gives Moses a mission to lead his people out of Egypt. Moses instantly, I think, like we all would, has questions and doubts his own abilities to do what God has asked him. Do you ever just look at a situation, church, and say, how can I possibly handle this? How can I possibly do what has been asked of me? How often do we look at a situation and say, no, no, this is above my pay grade? Well, I imagine Moses shared those sentiments, and as he looked at God and said, this is above my pay grade, God smiled and said, well, Moses, you've been promoted without pay. Oh, and the guy that was trying to kill you, well, you know, he's the one you're going up against. Easy, right? Like Moses, I believe we find ourselves in situations where we have an opportunity, a great opportunity to serve God, and we feel overwhelmingly unqualified. But like Moses, we quickly learn God is bigger than our fear. God is bigger than our shortcomings. As we continue in Exodus chapter 3 into verse 4, we see this dialogue between Moses and God. Moses asks God, what am I supposed to say? How can I even convince them? God gives an answer to Moses and then some. And still Moses questions him. And we're going to pick up here in Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. What if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. He said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. But the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by its tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. The Lord furthermore said to him, now put your hand into your cloak. So he put his hand into his cloak and when he took it out, behold, it was leprous like snow. Then he said, put your hand into your cloak again. So he put his hand into his cloak again and when he took it out of his cloak, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Man, I love this story. I love this story. You know how many times in my life I have found myself before God saying, but God, and he says, do you have a staff? Great, I can use that. Oh, you don't have a staff. Great, I can use your hand. Oh, you don't have a hand? Well, God's going to make a way. God always seems to make a way, doesn't he? To bring about uh, his glory and his purpose despite our best efforts to convince him that we're overwhelmingly underqualified. So God burned the ship for Moses and said, here you go. Your only way out is through. So go face your fears. And God looks upon you and I, church, and says the same thing. Stop retreating to the ship of fear. Burn the ship of fear. It's tempting I'd be a hypocrite if I stood up here and told you that I still do not grapple with fear. That I still do not look at what God has asked of us and say, how? And make excuses and try to retreat. 
It requires intentional and daily thought and prayer to burn the ship and say, God is greater than my fear. God is greater than my own shortcomings. But for some, the ship isn't fear. I'd imagine some of Cortez's men didn't want to go on this expedition in the first place. Content with their lives, families, children, other jobs. I can imagine that some were ordered by their commanding officers to go with the Spanish conquistador on his journey to the Americas. And they didn't want to. I'm happy with the way things are. I don't understand. What's the big deal? And like those men, many today struggle with the same contentment. If you would, turn with me back to Luke chapter 9. As you turn there, I want you to consider something for me. Consider your own life and all the times you told Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And when it came to it and you stood before that mountain to climb, you said, well, anywhere but there, and turned and retreated. Here in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62, we see this happen. As they were going down the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus was inviting these men to burn their ships and follow after him, to follow something greater than themselves or greater than any one person. And these men, too invested with their accomplishments, too invested in the lives that they lived, content with what they had, struggled to let go. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and boogeyman these men and make them out like they were some evil villains for being hesitant to follow God, because if I did that, I would also be calling myself a villain. How many of us, when given the opportunity, chose to remain where we were because we were content with the way our lives were? What if we had the same attitude to keep us from following Christ that these men had? What if the apostles, when called by Christ, had chosen to remain where they were, doing what they were, because they were, ha they, they were happy, they were successful at what they did? Famously, in Matthew chapter 4, several of these same men were approached by Jesus and told to leave their old lives and follow him. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers of men. I'm sorry, they were fishermen, getting ahead there. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately. When? Immediately. They left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two more brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat was Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, when? Immediately, 
they left the boat and their father and followed him. Peter, Andrew, James, and John all made the decision to burn the ships, to leave it all behind, and to follow Christ. It doesn't mean that they totally forgot who they formerly were or abandoned everything. They did, however, choose to pursue Christ and the surpassing value of knowing Him over their own wants and desires. And you know as well as I do, there are so many things in this life that we can spend our time doing. People we can choose to spend our time with. Good, valuable things and great, wonderful people. And in the 21st century, there are a million and one ways to pass time and, and, and really spend our days. And I'm not a fool. The earthly blessings we have are, are numerous and good, just the way God intended them to be. The jobs we work are probably careers we've dreamed of having. The husbands and the wives we had are those that we prayed for night after night. The children we have bring us great joy, joy like no other. Just the way God intended it to be. The talents we have, the sports that we're good at, the hobbies we enjoy doing, the things in God's creation that we enjoy partaking in, all good, great things. But we have a choice to make. We can remain content in these earthly things, happy with the life that we live, or we can choose to burn the ships and find the path forward. And your ship might be something different. You might take great pride in who you are or where you're from and the things you've accomplished. You might find it easy to boast in your accomplishments. You probably struggle with fleshly desires that consume your time. So church, what obstacles stand between you and total commitment to God? What's your ship? For some, it might be the hate for people that they find themselves at odds with. It might be despising those who wish them ill and find ourselves consumed with anger and rage at the state of the world. For some, we allow worldly conflict to reign in our hearts and minds and distract us from the mission. For some, the ever-changing atmosphere of politics and government send us into a tailspin every two years. And really, they don't even have that grace period anymore. You remember the time where we could finish an election and for at least a few months it would be quiet and we could enjoy our lot? That's gone. I think we can all accept that that's gone. It will not be back. The state of the world we live in presses these issues upon us like there is no greater uh, need, no worse thing than XYZ happening or XYZ happening or so-and-so being in office or such-and-such happening that we consume ourselves with fear and anger and anxiety and retreat to the ship. For some, we paralyze ourselves with jealousy or fear because we compare ourselves to people around us. For some, we try to measure ourselves up with our brothers and sisters in Christ, worrying that we're not enough, not good enough, not smart enough, not wise enough, not funny enough, not good-looking enough, I don't worry about that. Um, but we do. We compare ourselves. Church, I, I struggle with this. I'm going to be honest. And in some ways, this is a good thing. A lot of great men and women in my life that have been such a blessing, that are 
good, strong Christians that love the Lord and love sharing his word. And I find myself looking at that saying, how can I ever, I can't measure up with that. I can't compete with that. I can't be that. And it's funny because God doesn't want me to be that. God wants us to be who he's created us to be. God wants us to reflect him, to reflect light and to reflect his glory. That's what he wants from us. So church, I choose every day to wake up and do my best and give my best effort to burn that ship, to get away from that, to stop comparing myself and know that in Christ is victory. What's your ship? I hope you'll bear with me for a moment. We're almost through. And if you, if you don't mind, even if you do mind, I don't care. I want to get real with you. Church, the truth is, the sun has just set on a 14-year period for Oldham Lane that saw a great and wonderful minister work with a great and wonderful congregation to make and grow disciples. This morning, Blake shared with us what anchors us and what makes Oldham Lane Oldham Lane. Thank you for that message, brother. He reminded us that while much has changed in the past few months and will continue to change, those things won't change. Oldham Lane will always be the same group, the same family, the same collection of believers seeking to glorify God and grow his kingdom. On Friday, when I saw that Blake was preaching a sermon titled Anchored, I texted him and said, hey, I didn't realize you were going to be talking about anchoring the ship because I'm going to tell him to burn it all down. And, and we shared a laugh over that, and, and, you know, he said, well, no ships involved, you know, moment missed. But, but seriously, we are at a crossroads here, aren't we? The ship has gotten us this far, and now we have a choice to make. We can cling to the journey that, that we took to get here. We can even look at our past accomplishments and, moment of, and moments of success and call it a day. Y'all, we have a lot to be proud of. A lot has been accomplished we can dust off our hands and call it a day. We could even limit our future success by being so content with where we're at or longing for what we had that we don't see the blessings to come. Or we can choose to burn the ships. We can choose to look into tomorrow with great joy that God has given us yet another day to be his church and to live in his kingdom and share his word. One thing that I've loved that since, since this, this uh, change has been happening, since Chris shared with us that he was leaving, the, the one thing that has remained abundantly clear to me is the great joy that many of you are finding in looking forward to what's next. And to seeing the opportunity, to seeing the, 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 the fields fresh for the harvest putting your hand to that plow and not looking back. So church, we can choose to look ahead and be paralyzed by the unknown. We can let it be uh, this blessing that, that should be amazing, this blessing of newness that God has given to us. We can let it stun us and send us running. We can look at ourselves and say, God, I'm not ready. God, what if we're not ready? What if I'm not good enough? What if this all goes wrong? Or we can let new opportunities glorify God. We can let new opportunities usher in a new day and a new time for his church.
And knowing all of you, I think that's exactly what's going to happen. If you would, indulge me for a minute. Sing with me. I have decided... So church, whether it be your own personal struggle or your fear of the future for the church here at Oldham Lane, tonight I I encourage all of us to burn the ship. One last thing and then we'll be done here tonight. Another naval or military term that you might be familiar with is the point of no return. The point of no return is a critical point at which turning back or reversal is not possible. Church, we're there. We've been there since the minute Jesus Christ entered this world. Some might argue we've been there since the moment God whispered into this world, let there be light. There are no details to decide. There's nothing to hash out. As Jesus declared when he died on the cross, it is finished. It's over. All we have left to decide is victory in Christ or death in sin. There is no retreat. The only way out is through, and as you know well, the only way through is through Christ. And church, I love you all too much to encourage you to do anything besides burn the ship and find victory in Christ. So as we end tonight, if we can help you with that, we want to. We want to pray for you and your needs. We want to support you in your struggle. We want to take those steps with you into tomorrow, into eternity with God and our Savior Jesus Christ. And if that means repentance or baptism, that's okay. We rejoice in that. You don't realize how much you bless our lives by allowing us to minister to you. So whatever your need may be, we invite you to come forward and let us know as we stand and sing.